all the methods that the Lord's given us to provide healing, right? It's not just one. It's many methods that the Lord's given us uh, to obtain healing from the laying on hands to uh, prayer cloths to uh, the gifts of healings in 1 Corinthians 12. But the highest way, the best way by faith is to obtain it entirely by the Word of God. That's God's ideal. That's what He desires for the church to obtain and to attain to. Uh, and it's not an impossible uh, goal. It's a goal that your average Christian has every ability to achieve uh, easily, really, if you just meditate on the Word. And so, and that's, that book is, is just the Word. And so if you read the book, cover to cover, there's uh, uh, almost 7,000 verses in there if you read them all. And um, there's uh, 400-something verses from 400-something translations. And so uh, every verse doesn't have that many translations, but um, <clears throat> we picked out the best ones for that. And so uh, uh, I believe every Christian ought to have a copy of that book. And look, I'm not trying to sell it. Uh, I, think, uh, I think I gave everybody, everyone in here a copy of the book, right? So we need to recall all those books because other people want to buy them. So if you want to bring them back tomorrow, then we'll sell them and we'll get you. No, I don't want you to do that. Uh, and so, um, but it's just, it's just good information. Amen. Uh, and so um, we'll uh, give you an update uh, probably on Sunday to let you know where we're at. But um, uh, we're going to tell uh, Rick Brenner's ministry to stop telling people to call us because we're out of books too, right? So we're going to ship them tomorrow. Hopefully he'll get them within a couple of days. Hopefully he'll get them before we run out so that uh, we can just hand them all back over to him and let, um, let his ministry sell them uh, from, uh, from them, amen, because they were the ones who were doing the advertising and, and um, that'll work out just, just uh, uh, to everybody's advantage, amen. Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his words as, as we get into the word today. So Father, we do thank you for your word. Father, we come to your word humbly uh, with the attitude and understanding that it's your spirit that grants us revelation of your word. Father, your spirit is a teacher, the imparter, the, the great wisdom of, uh, of heaven, Father. We thank you that he will reveal and instruct to us what the word of God says to us today, how it's supposed to be applied to our lives today, Father. And so, Lord, we, we receive it with open, open hearts, Father, uh, ready minds. Uh, we thank you for that, Father. And we come to you humbly and ask you for your great blessings as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We'll continue there today. So we finished up last week talking about the righteousness that uh, we want to have, the righteousness which is only by faith. And um, uh, as we talked about last week, that if you want to live in the righteousness which is by faith, it requires some effort on your part to get out of the mindset that I'm always trying to earn my way to heaven. I'm trying to not, and not just even earn your way to heaven, but earn the favor of God. That, that I'm, you know, right now my relationship with God is kind of strange, so I'm going to go do a bunch of good things. I'm going to make some potato salad. I'm going to help some poor people. I'm going to do this and do that. Uh, and then that way God will love me more. Uh, and, and that's really uh, a works mentality. It's a mentality that, that your effort, your natural effort, is, is sufficient to obtain the favor of God. And, and a person of faith would never do that. Uh, a person of faith would never try to take what they've done and say, now, Lord, uh, I've done this thing. Now you owe me favor. Now I'm going to purchase favor. I'm going to purchase my position with you by doing these things. I'm, I can't buy it with money, but I can buy it with my time and my effort and my energy. Uh, and uh, that, that's a losing battle because if you, if you could really see it from the standpoint of uh, how much does righteousness cost versus how much are you able to, to provide to purchase that righteousness. And if you look at the cost of righteousness, the cost of righteousness is the blood of Jesus. That's what it costs, right? Or whatever the value of the blood of Jesus is, that's the cost of righteousness. 
So how, if you worked all your life, 24 hours a day, if you, could, if you could stay awake 24 hours a day and worked all of your life, how close to purchasing righteousness would you get as far as earning it? Well, you would never get any, you wouldn't even get, the needle would never move. But you have to believe that. You have to accept that, that nothing I can do can make me any closer to the Lord Jesus than, uh, than the, the position I am already by his work on the cross. Uh, and, and if you're not there, if you've never really thought of it that way, uh, you need to address your own heart and, and ask, ask the Lord, Lord, well, why am I doing Because we went back and talked about, well, of course, on Sunday we were talking about your motivation, right? About doing your alms before men that you, that, uh, you would receive the glory of men. Uh, and, and so does that mean we should never give? No, it's not about the giving. It's about the motivation behind the giving. And it's the same thing with righteousness and the things that you do for the Lord. What's your motivation? If your motivation is to earn your position with the Lord Jesus, then it's a losing battle. You're never going to earn any favor with the Lord. You're already his child. You're already brought into the kingdom of heaven. You're already sitting, seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So how can you do any better than that? And you have to believe that. You have to believe that right now, this moment, I, my position with the Lord is that I'm seated uh, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that I am his child and, and that I have been adopted into the family of God. I'm not just a servant like I was in the Old Testament, or even a friend that Jesus said in the New Testament, I am a child, right? I, I have, and, and as a child, you have legal rights and privileges, amen? Uh, you, have to, you have to believe that because if you don't, you're just going to be spinning your wheels all your life and doing things and always trying to earn, instead of using your faith to change the world and to obtain uh, more of the power of God, whatever it is you have need of in your life, you're, you're using faith in an area that is of no value. You're going to try to do these things, and you're never going to uh, accomplish anything because the work's already done. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, that, that really requires meditation on your part to, to look at your own life. And, Lord, do I do this? And what you'll find is the actions that you do in your life may never change. What you do and how you help people and, and, and what you uh, apply your knowledge and skills and talents to do uh, especially as, as it relates to the Lord, may not change at all. But why you're doing it may change. Uh, and really, uh, you know, it, it's some people, they, they tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Then I'm not going to do anything. Uh, well, that's, that's you know, the, the Lord has need for all of us to do things. Amen? All of us have been gifted with talents and abilities from before the foundation of the world uh, that we can bring to bear to advance His kingdom in whatever capacity that is. Yeah, and, and, you know, I have found lots of times where um, you get some people, they just, they just won't do anything for the Lord. It just doesn't matter. They just won't, you know, they're so free, they do nothing, right? And, and uh, well, I'm not going to be under law. Well, you know, I'm under law. You know, I, I'm not under law. I do whatever I do just because I love the Lord. It's as simple as that, right? Uh, what did he say? If you love me, you'll do what? Keep my commandments, right? And so uh, that means if you love him, you're going to be doing things, which whatever the commandments are in your particular life, Amen. So verse, 10, verse 9 there uh, about being found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's a great verse. And it, it, if you can get that verse settled in your heart, you can uh, live in a life of faith where you're just doing things because you, you love the Lord and uh, that you're never concerned about your relationship with him. You're never concerned about, well, Lord, maybe you don't like me today or maybe... You know, maybe I'm, not, maybe I'm not doing enough for you. Maybe I need to do some things to make you happier with me. 
you're already his son. Amen. You're already a child of God. You're already on your way to heaven. You are already right now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's no need for you to try to make that better. It's already as good as it's going to get. Amen. And it's pretty good. I mean, uh, ha- having the righteousness of God means you're in perfect right standing with the Lord with having done nothing except saying yes. That's all you did, right? When you accepted the Lord Jesus, you said yes, and uh, that got you everything that you needed. Uh, and that's true. That's what the Word of God says, right? We have an inheritance. An inheritance occurs when somebody dies. Well, who died for us? Jesus died for us, so that means we got the inheritance. So uh, it's not a trust. It's an inheritance, right? A trust says, well, it's all yours, but I'm only going to give you so much right now. I'm going to give you a dollar a day. You know, we can't give it all. You, you, you couldn't handle it all, so I'm going I'm to only give it out to you a little at a time. That's a trust, right? Uh, and usually there's an executor over the trust, uh, but, uh, and, and they, although they don't own the trust, it's not their money, but they oversee the trust on behalf of somebody else. Maybe it's a rich uncle or, or rich parents, and they died, and they don't, they don't trust their children to get everything, so we're going to give it to you in small amounts. Well, that's great, except, you know, what if you want to use more money than, than the trust provides in that moment? It's too bad. It's just too bad, you know. Now, you might be able to sweet-talk the executor uh, into granting you more in that moment, but for the most part, the executor calls all the shots. Well, Jesus, not nah, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Just, it's all yours. Just take it all. It's all yours, right? He said he's given us all things that pertain unto life of godliness. Well, if he gave us all things that pertain unto life of godliness, what's left out? What's left out in your life uh, that the Lord has not given to you? Nothing, right? If he's given you all things that pertain to life and godliness, that means he's given you all things. Amen? Uh, and so can we get there? Can we live that way? You will find, if, you will, if you will strive to live that way, that, that you are not trying to earn your way to heaven or even earn your position with the Lord, it will free up your faith so much it, it, it'll, it'll cause you to have a lot better mindset with the Lord because the people that are in works are always thinking, well, if I don't do this, God's going to get mad at me and he's going to hold this against me and, and I'm just not, he's just not happy with me because I'm not working hard enough. It, it's, just, it's just a rat race and, and you'll, never, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never find your way out. If you'll find your way in faith that your righteousness is by, by faith alone. Did you believe the Lord Jesus? Did you believe on the Lord Jesus? Then you are righteous. Uh, and that's a great place to, to be, amen, that, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, and so he said, I don't want my righteousness, I want his righteousness. Why? That I might know him, verse 10, uh, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Uh, and so that's what Paul says, I want to know him. And that statement there, that word know, is not just an intellectual knowledge because in the church, uh, there's so much intellectual knowledge. There's so much, uh, uh, you know, here's, here's this verse right here, and they go through a book, uh, uh, Brother Randy always called a book report, right? And you can tell. It's dry. There's no life in it. It's just knowledge. Here's number of kings. Here, here's, uh, you know, the difference between the, the synoptic gospels and, and John's gospel. And I mean, they give you all these, all these intellectual things. And that's not knowing God. That's knowing about God. Uh, and a lot of people know about God, they don't know him, right? They don't know him. You know, if you know, if you know somebody, then you would know what they would do in a certain, in a certain situation. Uh, and if you hear somebody saying that somebody did that, and you knew them, well, they wouldn't have done that. I know them. There's no way they would have done that. You know, somebody you know said, well, you know, I heard so-and-so rob the bank. There's no way. I know that person. There's no way they would do that. And uh, some, people, some people hide it where they could, right? But the Lord's not hiding anything. He is who he is. He's made himself uh, plain in the word of God about who he is that he is good, amen, and his mercy endures forever. That's who he is. 
And if you know that, see, Paul wants to know, wants to know him. And, and, you know, you could see that a lot with Moses. You know, Moses, uh, it, no matter how close he was, he, he wanted to know God more. He said, Lord, let me see you. And, 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 he, saw, and he saw the Lord, right? The Lord said, well, like, you can't see all of my glory because, you know, your, your, your um, uh, body that has a sin nature, your sin nature-infused body would not be able to withstand my full glory. So I'm going to just show you a, a small part of me uh, and, uh, uh, and that'll be sufficient. Of course, he, he saw him and, and, and uh, you know, no doubt he was, he was probably terrified in seeing the Lord in, in a sense of the awesomeness of his power. Uh, and so, but Moses always wanted to know, more, know the Lord more. And yet, even today, you and I know the Lord and have the capacity to know him more than Moses ever knew him because he lives on the inside of you. And he can speak to you and reveal things to you, right? He says that, 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 uh, uh, that uh, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. But that's not the only area that he bears witness with us. He bears witness with us, are we in the will of God? He bears witness with us, are we understanding the word of God correctly? He bears with us uh, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So he, he's always bearing witness to us about who God is. Uh, and, and it's a great blessing. It, it's really... Uh, an area that the church has missed for the most part, you know, even for the, you know, for the most part of the 2,000 years that we've been a church, the church, the church has really lost or missed out a lot of the value of knowing uh, the present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit. What's he doing to you right now? What's he doing for you right now? What is he speaking to you right now? Uh, and the value of that uh, is so tremendous, and yet much of the church, uh, it, it's like God's over, over there, and we're over here, and we say, we, we've got this, Lord. And, and, and it's almost, you know, every now and then they'll, they'll submit an email, prayer request to the Lord, and then wait, you know, he may respond, he may not respond. You know, sometimes it goes into the uh, junk folder in heaven, right? never sees it. Uh, but it's, it's like a separate, you know, we're here and God's over there. Uh, and yet he desires for us to live where we're aware of his presence every day where we are aware of his, of his speaking to us every day, where we are aware of his leading us every day in every situation so that we're not in fear, we're not in torment, we're not uh, anxious, we're not fretful, uh, that we have the peace of God uh, all the time because of the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of us. And that's what Paul wanted. He wants to know the Lord. So he, he, you know, he already knew about the Lord from his studies as a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, so that means he studied the Scriptures well. And yet it's amazing as being a Pharisee and studying the law as much as Paul did, he had no concept of the Messiah. He had no understanding that Jesus was the Messiah until Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. And so that just tells you that it doesn't matter how much intellectual studies you do. If you go from just, well, I'm intelligent. I can read the word of God. I'm going I'm to memorize the word of God. Well, uh, that's great, but that's not knowing the Lord. Amen. We wanna, when I'm reading the scriptures, especially the gospels, when I'm uh, reading Jesus and how he interacted with people. I'm always, uh, I'm reading it to see who he was, what motivated him, what did he do in situations, what didn't he do in situations, how many times did the, did the disciples speak for Jesus, uh, you know, blind Bartimaeus, and he said, be quiet, you know, you're bothering everybody. Did Jesus tell them to tell them to be quiet? No. And yet, uh, they spoke on behalf of Jesus on, on a regular basis. Uh, remember when, when uh, they were crossing the, the lake, uh, the sea there, and, and uh, where was Jesus asleep at? In the hinder part of, of the ship on a pillow, right? Asleep. Remember what they asked him? Master what? 
carest thou not that we perish? Now, can you imagine asking Jesus? Like, is that a, is, is, is a possible answer? Uh, no, I don't care. Is, would he have said, nah, I don't care. Dies, I don't care. See, see if I care. Was, is that a, I mean, that's what they asked him the question, right? It was a yes or no question with the possibility that no, I don't care was a valid answer. If that, if that question was a valid question, then a valid answer would have been no, I don't care. It, it, well, if you knew him, there was no, you would never ask that question. If you really knew who he was, you would never, Lord, you don't care. You would never ask that question because you would know, well, of course he cares. There must be something else. And the something else was, he said, we're going to the other side. So there's no way we can't go to the other side. See, if they had thrown out their carnal questions and said, well, that can't be it. And I do that all the time. You know, I'll ask a question. Well, that can't be the answer. There has to be another answer. Because a lot of times people will read the word of God, not understand it and, and make an assumption. Well, it says this, so therefore uh, God doesn't heal anymore. Uh, you know, just like uh, Paul talks about Trophimus uh, over, I think it's in First Timothy chapter 4, uh, somewhere along there in one of the epistles. But he said that Trophimus, I left sick at Mileta, Miletus. And people go, see, God doesn't want to heal. But does, did Paul say God didn't want to heal Trophimus, therefore we left him there? No, it just says we, he was sick and we left him there. Well, what, what's Paul's call? What's his call on his life? He's got to go. And if he's got to go into all the world and Trophimus is sick and can't go, what's Paul going to do? Oh, I guess I can't. Trips cancel, boys. We can't go. Sorry, Lord, I can't complete your will because Trophimus doesn't want to believe God or doesn't know how to believe God or doesn't want to get healed or whatever. You know, I, I'm not judging him, but just he can't make the trip. So, Lord, I can't, I can't complete your will because of him. You think that would go well with the Lord? No. So he had to do what he had to do. And Trophimus, you know, catch up later if he can. Hope you, hope you get better. Let me know if it works out for you. Uh, and so, but people would say, see, God doesn't want to heal people. It never says, there's no, there's no implication in that verse that says that God doesn't want to heal anybody. It just says, this is what happened. Uh, and, and so, it, see, if you'll approach the word of God, well, that can't be, it can't be that God doesn't want to heal him, so there must be something else. Well, the something else was Paul had a call on his, God, uh, on his life to complete the will of God, and Trophimus was one of his helpers, and a good helper. We see his name mentioned a few times in the, in the word of God, and yet he was unable to, to accompany Paul because of his sickness, and, and, and Paul, there's no judgment on Paul's side. He just said, I left him sick there. He didn't say I left him sick because he's, he's backslidden buzzard, doesn't want to get healed, doesn't want to believe God, doesn't want to receive from, from prayer. Uh, he didn't, there's no judgment. He's just a statement. There's no explanation or no indication of the will of God in that situation. It's just a statement. Amen. Uh, and so, so uh, it, see, if you know God, then you'll discard statements that don't make any sense. You'll, you'll discard the statement, well, then God doesn't want to heal because this occurred. And then you'll pursue, see, sometimes you have to dig. Sometimes you have to uh, dig a little. And, well, what's the, if that's not the answer, Lord, what is the answer? And so sometimes you have to dig a little further and, and start putting together the whole counsel of God and understanding uh, a particular topic. And, and well, uh, if you look at all the healing scriptures and you know, all the healing examples in the Word of God from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation, there's never a time when the Lord said, I desire for you to be sick. Not one time. Not a single time. And there's 80, uh, 82 examples of healing in the Word of God, stories of healing in the Word of God. There's never a story where God said, I want you to be sick. Not a single story. And yet, how many people in the church still today, well, it's not God's will to heal every time. And yet, every single example in the Word of God, we have God desire to heal. Every single example, especially of anybody who came to the Lord, left healed. 
Nobody who came to the Lord left unwell. Nobody. Zero, right? From the multitudes to the individuals, nobody left unwell. And, and so if you, if, you, if you made the statement, well, Lord, I wonder if sometimes it's your will to leave us sick, if it's your desire to leave us sick. See, then, then the Spirit of, of, of God would tell your spirit that is an untrue statement. And then if you'll yield to that, go, well, that can't be untrue, so let's see what else is going on. Amen. Let's see. It, it, so then when you, when you see Trophimus, right, or Epaphroditus uh, in Philippians chapter 2, which we already talked about him, um, you'll, you'll, you'll go through a little deeper and, and notice, well, there's nothing in here about the will of God. It doesn't say that it was the will of God. So, you know, that, that's, if you know the Lord, it's of great value in studying the word of God because you will, your, your mind will, you will never allow your mind to remain in, with a question that is, is an invalid question. You'll never ask the question, Lord, don't you care that we die? People do that. All, they pray like that. Yeah. Lord, don't you, don't you care that we're dying? Uh, or, or, Lord, uh, or they'll make statements, not even a question. Uh, they'll say something like, well, you know, so-and-so died. God needed him in heaven more than he needed him on the earth. Well, doesn't that sound spiritual? I mean, anybody ever heard that in a, in a funeral? I've heard that so many times, you know. And I, and I think about that guy that was, that was in the meeting with uh, President Bush over in Iraq. He took his shoe off and threw it at the president, you know. I want to take my shoe off and throw it at, throw it at the preacher who's saying that because it's just so, it's so not God. And I want to stand up and say, I know God. He would never do that. You know, of course, you can't do that. would be disrespectful, you know. And it would just ruin the whole thing. Not that it wasn't already ruined by him saying that. You know, I, I saw the, a preacher do that to a mother her, whose teenage child died in, in a camping accident. And he got up and said, well, well God needed him in heaven more than, than his, his mother needed him on the earth. He had the gall to say that. And I was so hot. I mean, just fighting mad hot just when he said that, you know. And, I, and I'm, who are you? know, how dare you say that? I know God. He would never do that. Uh, and you just the righteous anger rises up because you know, you, I'm not God's spokesperson in that sense. I don't have to defend him. He, you know, he needs no defense at all. But sometimes you just you just get so because because see that minister saying that how many people in that audience believe that and now took that as okay yeah that's right sometimes sometimes God just wants to kill a child sometimes it's just not enough kids in heaven. He's going to go bump one off on the, on the earth and take it to heaven and despite the, the cries and the anguish of the mothers and the, the fathers and the brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter. God, God needs it more than it. So, you know, God's ways are harder than our ways. So we just, it just, it just, it just you know, it's sin is what it is. And, the, and he'll have to answer for that. He'll have to stand before the Lord. And the Lord said, uh, did you say that about me? No, Lord, that wasn't me. Uh, Gabriel hit play, right? You know, hit the, hit the BCR up in heaven, right? I mean, there's a BCR in heaven. He'll play and, and he'll say those words. Now, can you explain that to me? Do you have any book, chapter, and verse? Because I gave you 66 books, you know, uh, two testaments, 66 books, you know, uh, 1,089 chapters, 31,102 verses to, to tell you my will and explain who I am to you. Could you point one of those out that where I said that, where I desired that? Well, uh, can I get back to you? Lord? Right. Uh, and so uh, it's it's... If we know him, say, so I want to know him, that I may know him. Amen. Uh, and, he, and he continues on, not just know him, right? So the word know is not just an intellectual knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. We know because we've been with him. We've been in his presence. We, we can sense uh, his, uh, uh, his spirit speaking to us. We can sense when he's in the corporate sense, you know, where he says that the, he inhabits the praises of his people. He says those things. Uh, we, we know him. Amen. 
Uh, and, you know, the, the, the Christian should develop a life where they are aware of the presence of God and all that they do. And see, if you could do that, it would be such a, a blessing to you because when you're about to say things that you're not supposed to say or do things you're not supposed to do, see that spirit of God inside of you would just go. And if you'll learn to yield to that, see, then, then you'll get to know who he is. You'll get to know what pleases him, what's displeasing to him. Anything out of faith is, is displeasing to the Lord, right? Uh, and see, then you'll say a lot less, amen? You'll do a lot less that's outside of his will if you know him, amen? If you just know about him, you'll be like, ah, eh, you know, loophole, got First John 1, 9, I just ask for forgiveness, no big deal. Uh, and um, uh, you see, when you know him, you don't want to disappoint him in a sense that you do something that's an infraction against his desire for your life uh, and how you interact with people in your life. Uh, if you know him, see, it'll... it'll uh, It'll constrain your life to be in the path that he desires for you to be all the time. Uh, and, and will you be perfect in that? You know, I don't know. Uh, it's worth a shot. I mean, it's worth the effort to try. And so uh, we need to know him not just intellectually, but from, a, from an experiential standpoint. Uh, and that's provided entirely by his spirit, amen, uh, in the presence of, of, of God, both in our individual lives and our corporate lives at church. And he said, but not just to know him experientially, but also the power of his resurrection, and that word power there is dunamis. It's the Greek word for supernatural miracle working power, amen? And so Paul wants to know him and the supernatural power of his resurrection. Uh, and, you know, the, the church should be the most powerful group of people on the world, in the, in the world, amen? We should have the power of God, the supernatural miracle working power of God with us everywhere we go, amen? Uh, and that's not just for the ministry, that's for all of us, amen? He, uh, he said, Back in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, this was, you know, in, in Acts chapter 1, of course, is after the cross, right? After the resurrection, just before uh, Acts chapter 2, where they received the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, he, and he tells them here. Uh, and right after this is when he was ascended to heaven, right? And he's been seated at the right hand of the Father since this, these verses, right? Right after verse 8, he's ascended to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And that's where he's been right now. So on occasion, he'll get up and visit the earth, right? He's, he's the Lord of the earth. He can visit us anytime he wants to, amen? Uh, and he has visited the earth many times to many people. Uh, but uh, as he was talking to the disciples, he said, but you shall receive power. Uh, that, that word power there, same exact word, right? Supernatural miracle work power, miracle work and power. You shall receive power after that or after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So, uh, in fact, uh, you know, maybe it'd be good just to, just to take a little time. Uh, let's go back to John chapter 20 because people will, again, people who don't know uh, what's going on, they'll say things that, that don't make any sense, right? But um, um, a lot of the churches under the opinion uh, under the opinion and thought that, well, there's only one experience with the Holy Spirit uh, in a Christian's life. Uh, and that's when, when you accepted the Lord Jesus, you received the Holy Spirit, and that's all the Holy Spirit that you'll ever receive, right? Uh, and yet, uh, that's not what the Word of God says. And so let's see what the Word of God says. So, so uh, John chapter 20, again, John chapter 20 is after the resurrection, right? After the, after the cross, on, the, on uh, verse, what, chapter 19 was when he was on the cross, and then uh, he was crucified there and buried, and then Acts chapter 20, uh, he was resurrected. Mary saw him, he did some things there, said some things, 
And then, then finally, he went to see the disciples, right? So he saw Mary first, right? Uh, he saw a woman first, and then he saw all the important men. Uh, and so that's probably about the right, or, right order of things, right? See the women first and see all the important men after that. Uh, you know, it, it keeps all, all of us men. In fact, if you remember in Mark 16, it said he upbraided them for their unbelief because they wouldn't believe the women. And there was another witness, too, besides the women. But, uh, you know, they just, uh, uh, he, he did that on purpose. Amen. Uh, because it's important for us to stay humble. It's important for us to stay, well, Lord, you owe, you owe me to do this and that for me. He owes me nothing. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, so after the resurrection, he, he appears finally, finally to the disciples there. And he says in verse 21, this is John chapter 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them, peace be unto you, as my father has sent me even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, what, uh, what other situation do we know in the Word of God where God breathed on a human being? Adam, Adam right? So what happened when God breathed on Adam? What, what's the Word of God say? He became a living soul, right? Of course, it's Old Testament, so it's a different word for soul than it's New Testament. Uh, but, but he became alive spiritually after God breathed on him. Well, now, these, these men here were alive physically, right? They were walking around there, right, in this room. So it wasn't like, see, when, when God breathed into Adam, Adam was just clay. He, he was just a lump of clay, uh, not unlike a lot of people we know, just a lump of clay, just sitting there. Not, they, you know, there's no life in them. They just sit there, right? Sometimes, you know, you want to go around a church and just check, or, you know, are you real or are you just, oh, I thought maybe you're just a lump of clay. Uh, and, and so... Uh, so when God's breathed into Adam, see, Adam was completely uh, not alive, spiritually, amen? But he breathed on Adam, and then Adam became alive, amen? And really, at that moment, he was alive unto God. He, he had no sin nature in him. He had not committed any sin. He was perfect with the Lord. Uh, well, now we fast forward here to the New Testament, and Jesus breathes on them again. Well, is Jesus God? He is God, right? And so he breathed on him. And, and the book of Hebrews tells us that God is the father of all spirits. And so uh, he says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Well, if Adam became alive spiritually when God breathed on him, what happened to these uh, disciples here when God breathed on them? They also became alive spiritually, right? So that because, uh, you, get, you know, we, we keep going back up, but, you know, we always love this rabbit path, Right. What's, what's the status of all human beings spiritually that have not accepted the Lord Jesus right now? Spiritually, they're what? Dead, right? Well, what does that mean, spiritually dead? Does that mean that, uh, that they don't exist? Does that mean that, that uh, their, their spirit's buried in a ground somewhere? No, it means there's no life of God in it. Amen? So uh, every human being that's, that's of an adult age, right, or some age, we'll talk about that in a second, Right now, spiritually speaking, if they have not accepted the Lord Jesus, they are, spiritually they are not alive. Amen? It doesn't mean that they don't exist. It just means that they don't have the life of God in them. When God breathed into Adam, he breathed not just the spirit in him, but the life of God into him. And Adam became alive spiritually. Uh, and so uh, what's the status of every baby that comes into the world? Spiritually speaking, what's the status of they're alive, right? Because who, who made their spirit? God made their spirit, right? God is a father of spirits, right? So the father of their flesh is their parents, right? The, the, the 
source of their flesh is their parents. The DNA of the mother and father come together and they create a physical child and then God breathes life into that child. The spirit of, of that child, God breathes into them. He creates every spirit individually into every child. Uh, and so when that child is born into the world, uh, they are, are alive physically because of their parents, but they are alive spiritually because the, the Father God breathed that spirit into them. Amen. And he breathed that into them at the moment of conception because all, all these Old Testament verses that we can look up at, about he knew them in their mother's womb. So they're not, they don't become alive spiritually at birth. They become alive spiritually at conception, uh, which is not a hard concept for the church to believe, but it's a hard concept for the world to accept many times because that's how they justify abortion. Well, it's not a real person until they're born into the world. Well, they're a real person the moment they're conceived because God breathe, if God breathes a spirit into them, then as far as he's concerned, they're a real uh, human being. Amen. And, and why people argue that, I don't know why people argue that. It's not, a hard, it's not even a hard doctrinal thing to argue. And yet, even some Christians will get up in the pulpit and say, you know, the Bible, the Bible uh, uh, is okay with a, abortion. <laughs> is the Bible okay with murdering babies? Like a, 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 and, you know, uh, just like everything, no matter, what, no matter what these insane people do, they will always push the limit because now uh, they're thinking that post-birth uh, abortion is acceptable. Well, post-birth abortion is called murder. And yet they say, well, it's, if it's within a few hours, it's okay. It's murder, right? It's murder when they're in the womb. It's murder when they're outside the womb. Amen. It's just murder. Either way, it's murder. Amen. And, and, and so uh, that's another whole discussion for another day. But the, the baby comes in the world alive unto God. Amen. God breathes that, that breath of life into that child. They're alive unto God. At some point, uh, Paul said, uh, we're, we're in John chapter 20. Turn over to Romans chapter 7. And how many times have we gone over this? A lot of times, right? But it, it's good for you to be able to know these verses so, you, so, so uh, it helps you to appreciate where you are, right? It helps you to understand how these things work. So Paul said here in Romans chapter 7, and, and I'm so thankful for Romans chapter 7 because if, if Paul didn't write Romans chapter 7, see, then Paul is perfect, never made any mistakes, and we're all doomed, amen? Uh, there's no hope for us because I made a mistake. And Paul was perfect. Paul never made a mistake, but he did make a mistake. He made lots of mistakes. Uh, so Paul said uh, in verse 8, this is Romans chapter 7, verse 8, but sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence or, or desire, for without the law sin was dead. But I was alive without the law once, or at one time I was alive. Now, is he talking about spiritual life or, or, or physical life? Spiritually, because... He was, he was always been alive, right? And because he says, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So is he talking about dying spiritually or dying physically? He's talking about dying spiritually, right? I died spiritually. So, so he said, I was alive without the law once. Well, when was that one time that he was alive at one point in time? When was that? When he was a child, right? From the time he was born into the earth or from the time he was conceived in his mother's womb until the point in time it says there, it says when, exactly when it occurred. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Well, what's he mean by that? Well, the commandment is just uh, any, any law that you know from right, right from wrong. Right? This is the commandment, do this or don't do that. Okay, that's right or that's wrong. And, and I'm going to choose to disobey that commandment. And so you have to decide, well, what, what age does that occur? Well, there's no age because it, it depends on the person. It depends on the person. Do they know right from wrong? Now see, like uh, uh, when Jared was, uh, well, he wasn't even one yet because he was still in a walker. 
So he was in the walker one time, so he, so, uh, so he got in his walker, and, and he ran into the wall, just bam. Wow. And he thought, hey, this is cool. So he backed up, <laughs> bam, he did it again. This is awesome. So he backed it up again, bam, bam, bam. And, and you know, I mean, I have one time that's cute, right? After three or four times, like, look, I'm going to have to patch that wall. I don't have to patch that wall, so you stop. So uh, Jared, you stop doing that. And he looked at me, a one-year-old, right? He looked at me, and he, bam, did it again, right? <laughs> and so, so, you know, like, okay. So I just pushed him down. No, I didn't. And, and so I, I just went over there, and I just took his hand. I just barely, you know, tapped it like that, right? Just not even, you know, don't say, aw. You know, I didn't hurt the child. I didn't beat him or anything or stick, you know, put him in a freezer or nothing. I just, you know, let him know I'm in charge, and he's not. He's one years old. And I'm bigger than him. And so, of course, when I did that, as soon as I did that, Anne-Marie, I don't know where she was, she came out of nowhere, she grabs him out of the walker and runs away with him, you know. Oh, you've been so mean to him. Well, see, there's no right and wrong. He's one year old. He doesn't know right from wrong. He just knows this is cool to bam into a wall, and I'm going to keep on doing it. And so, but, you know, you can start teaching him whether they're young not, not to do those things. And so, so there was no commandment to, he didn't have a mental awareness that what he was doing was wrong. He was, what he was doing was, was wrong. Just, you know, just, in fact, it was, it was Anne-Marie. She wrote on the walls, scribbled on the walls of crayons one time. I mean, she was like, you know, 18 years old or something like that. No, she, she was like, she was like, you know, three or four or something like that. And she, she got the crayons and there's a wall and it's cool, you know. Well, I had never told her not to write on the walls. So there's no commandment. Now, you know, if I had done as a child, it had been a death sentence immediately, you know, because it was always, everything was a capital punishment. And then they decided after that, you know, what they were going to do with you after they killed you and buried you somewhere. But, but, you know, I thought, well, I never told her not to do it. So I can't punish her for doing that because she didn't know there's no commandment. And so I said, well, you know, hey, I took a piece of paper. I said, uh, I said, Anne-Marie, this is paper. You can, you find paper, you can color on any paper you want to. In fact, I've got pencil marks in my Bible still, you know, where she thought it's paper. You know, I could scribble on it. It's in the book of Galatians. Uh, and so, <clears throat> so I did have to adjust some of that dis- discussion later on. But I said, it's okay to scribble on this, not okay to scribble on it. And she never did again after that. Uh, and so, you know, she, she was fine with that. So, but the commandment comes when you're aware enough mentally to make a decision. You mentally, your, your, your soul is aware, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is aware enough to choose, okay, this, I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to anyway. And when you have the capacity to make that decision, see, when is that? Well, there's no time because kids are all different, right? Some kids, they just, you know, they're really aware, really bright, you know, really five, six, seven, eight, ten years old, they may have be able to make that, that decision. Some uh, people, because of, of uh, handicaps and, and physical ailments or uh, brain disorders, may never be able to make that decision. They may never know right from wrong. And so they'll still be alive unto God, even if they're an adult. Uh, and, you know, that's a rare, a rare occasion, but it does happen. Uh, you know, not like rare, it never happens, but, you know, it, it's not the most, uh, the most part of the church or most part of the world. Uh, most people, will, a commandment will come from the parents or whoever, or, you know, it's not just Bible commandments because you're supposed to, uh, children, obey your parents. Isn't that not a law? Amen. So that's, you know, if they choose to disobey their parents, uh, and how many kids have looked right at their parents and go, anyway, right? I mean, all of my kids, I think, did that. Every one of them, right? Looked right at you and just did it anyway, right? And then we take a trip to the bedroom and we, we deal with it, right? Uh, and so, but sin, but, but see, the commandment came um, and sin revived. So that sin nature that's in every human being came alive and it killed 
sin revived, and I died, right? When you chose to, to do that thing, the life of God left your spirit. You still have a spirit, you are still a spirit, but you no longer have the life of God in you. That makes you unqualified to go to heaven because God can't have a dead spirit, a spirit without his life in his presence, and so it, you're incompatible for going to heaven. And if you choose not to change, if you choose not to accept the Lord Jesus, you will become incompatible when you die on this earth, and you will not make it to heaven. And yet people argue, well, well God won't send anybody to, to hell. He loves everybody. He hasn't sent a single person to hell. There's not a single person to hell. God sent them there. Every person to hell, sin revived, and they died, and they had another opportunity later on to accept the Lord and rejected that as well. They rejected the first authority, whatever that was, their parents or, you know, whoever it was that said, don't do this. And then they rejected the second authority when the Lord said, yeah, but you need a Savior now. I'm not, I don't need a Savior. Fine, then die. You know, it's, now, I don't want nobody to die, right? I, I, the whole purpose of my existence is to get people into heaven. Amen? The whole purpose of all of our existence right here in this church Amen. is to get people into heaven. Amen? And by explaining these things, see, it makes it clear because it gets rid of all these dumb uh, doctrines that say, well, well, a loving God would never send anybody to hell. How many people have come to that conclusion? Well, I know God's love. He is love. Well, then a loving God could never send anybody to hell. But then you've got to throw out half the scriptures. You've got to, all the stuff we just talked about, you'd have to throw that out. Well, you know, none of those things work. So it's important to understand how things work because it does, it, it, Paul said to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. Amen. A workman that needed not to be ashamed. See, if you come up and say something like, well, God would never send anybody to hell because he's a loving God, then see that you're being, that's shameful because you just don't understand anything, right? You don't understand the very, very basics and fundamentals of, of how God works, amen? Uh, and so, so now we can go back to, to Acts chapter 1. So you remember uh, those disciples from John 20 are the exact same disciples in Acts chapter 1, right? It's not a different set of disciples, the same exact set of disciples, there's a few more from there, but still the same set of disciples there. And he said in, in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power, supernatural, miracle-working power. Amen. And just as, to understand this, back in verse 7, it says, uh, Well, they had asked in verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? See, all the time that Jesus was on the earth, he was only here for a short period of time. In the back of their minds, they kept thinking about the Messiah and the old covenant and how he was going to come and rule the earth, you know, rule it with a rod of iron. And, uh, and uh, you know, they missed the whole church age, right? They missed this time of grace that we're in right now. They only saw the end time. Well, the Old Testament does talk about this church age, not much, but it does talk about it. Ezekiel talks about it, about him putting his spirit in us in different scriptures and Isaiah talks about that with stammering lips, you know, he'll, he'll give us stammering lips, uh, talking about speaking in tongues. Now, you know, there's a lot of hints in the Old Testament about the church age, but not as much as there was about even the end of times, amen, when the Lord's going to restore all things back to him. Uh, and so, so they're all thinking, you remember, they, they were gathering up weapons. Remember Peter grabbed the weapon, remember Peter knocked, knocked off the ear off of uh, uh, the servant there? because you know, he's saying, let's go, boys, good time to die right now. And so he's starting to chop, you know, he got a sword, and he's thinking, okay, this is it. This is, well, this is it. And it wasn't it. And Jesus said, you know, put your sword away, dummy. Uh, and, and so, because they kept on thinking, when, when is the shoe going to drop that we get to fight the Romans physically? When, when, is, it, when is God going to come and, and send his angels to destroy all the heathen out of the land of Israel? And it wasn't that time. 
And so again, when they said, Lord, will at this, at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel, they're thinking a natural kingdom. They were always thinking a natural. That's why they were so frustrated with Jesus because on the one hand, they, 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 well, you look like the Messiah, you sound like, you act like the Messiah, but you just, you're so passive. You're, you're just, you, you say so, almost nothing, you know, he said a little, but almost nothing about Rome and about how we're going to kick out these Romans out of our country and you weren't intimidating or weren't instigating anything with the Romans, and you know, like Elijah would do, and you know, bring the boys, come on, boys, bring all your prophets over here. We'll have a we'll have a good time, and and just confrontational against the authority there. None of that. Jesus, was, from their perspective, very passive, and he's not a passive person, but in that area, because that's a natural, he wasn't concerned about the natural at that time. He was concerned about the kingdom of heaven, the spiritual kingdom, and so they're okay. Is it now? Can we do it now? Can we go shoot somebody now? You know, burn somebody, throw them out? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? And he said, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Well, that word power there is word for authority. See, the, the Lord has put, uh, uh, which the Father has put in his own authority. Uh, so who has the authority to decide when the end of times will be? God the Father. Has he, has he given that information to anybody else? No, does, does Jesus know the end of time? No, so Jesus doesn't know when the end of time will be. Uh, if Jesus doesn't know when, it, the, when the end of time will be, that means the Holy Ghost won't know because the Holy Ghost only speaks the things which Jesus says because he's sent the Holy Ghost to the earth. So only God the Father knows when Jesus is coming back, amen, to, to, uh, to take the church up and to start the end of times. And, uh, and so that tells you something that if I set up and say, I know when Jesus is coming back. The answer should be, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? And yet, how many times, in fact, uh, I've got a, I've got a, uh, a um, I found a somewhere in a, some of my reference material where somebody had cataloged the hundreds of times from the time the Lord Jesus was on the earth, and maybe even before then, where people have prophesied when God's going to come back and restore the kingdom. Hundreds of times, Christians have stood up in a pulpit, I know when Jesus is coming back. And, you know, so far, they're batting zero, Right? All of them have been wrong. Every one of them have been wrong. Every single last one of them is wrong. And so if anybody else stands up and says, you know, remember the guy, not 88 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 1988? Uh, you remember, anybody remember that? Uh, when that uh, what, was his, what was the sequel to that book? 89 reasons why Jesus was coming back in 89 because he was wrong in 88, so got to be 89, right? Uh, and I've heard people say, even now, you know, recently, well, I know when Jesus is coming back, you know. Or they'll say, I know he's coming back in my lifetime. You can't even say that. You don't know. It could be a thousand years from now. Now, we see, when we see some things. We see some hints, right? Israel's restored as a, as a... But it says this generation, I mean, it seemed like it would have happened between then and 1988 because Israel became a nation in 1948. So 40 years is about a generation. So it was reasonable to assume that 40 years would have been sufficient. But it's not sufficient because... For one thing, the Bible says a, a day of the Lord is like a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. So, I mean, it could be 40,000 years for all we know, 40,000. I mean, I don't know. Uh, and it's not worth, it's not worth, people will split hairs and they'll read every blood moon prophecy and all kinds of things and the planet's alignment and, you know, and the squirrels going up the trees that are down the tree. They'll figure out every, every, uh, that's it. It's like, you don't know. Jesus doesn't know. And if the Holy Ghost doesn't know, he, who, who else would tell you? It would have to be the Holy Ghost telling you. And he doesn't know. So, so the, the foolishness of, of, of some people who will get up and then say, I know when Jesus is coming back. You put all the signs together, the color of the sun, the color of the clouds, you know, the moon phase, and, you know, the, uh, you know I mean, just, 
I mean, it's all great. It's all gobbledygook. Amen. So where did you get these words from? You know, I see some of these things, you know, so where do you get these? These are not even Bible words. You just make up stuff. I don't care. You're not in my business. You know, you want to you do all that. You know, uh, I'm not mad at nobody, but I'm just thinking blah, 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 blah. You don't even know. Jesus doesn't know. So anyway, uh, so the Father put in his own power. So the, the King James translation, uh, I think it's an unfortunate limitation. They often translated the word power, uh, which should have been authority as power, and they also translated supernatural miracle work of power also as power. So they're, they're two different distinct words, and they, they're, it's of great value to know which one is used in the context of the verse because it, it changes the whole understanding of that verse. Uh, because he said here in verse, uh, in verse 8, but you shall receive power. Now remember Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Now at this point in time, Jesus has been resurrected, Right? And so Jesus is saying, so this power that he's talking about, that we, that we would know the power of his resurrection, is the power that they received after the resurrection. Well, this is the power that he's talking about. I want you to receive power, supernatural miracle working power, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Well, I thought they got the Holy Ghost in John 20. Didn't they get the Holy Ghost in John 20? Weren't they born again in John 20? Didn't, didn't they become alive unto God in John 20? By the Holy Ghost? Didn't he breathe on them the Holy Ghost? He breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost? And yet now he's telling them, but I, I want you to, to, to receive the Holy Ghost again. Well, that's the two works of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. The first work of the Holy Ghost is to get born again, make your spirit alive unto God. And the second work of the Holy Spirit is to emp empower you with supernatural miracle work and power. That's the second work of the Holy Spirit that is not required for salvation, not required to, to get you on your way to heaven. But what's the purpose of that power? Well, he tells you. After the, after the second work, right, because the first work was John 20, this is the second work here in, in Acts chapter 1, after you do that, then you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So what's the purpose of the power that he tells us here in Acts 1.8? Power to witness, right? The power to, to, be a to testify of the Lord Jesus. Amen. A witness is a, somebody who gives a testimony. Amen. And so you shall be witnesses to me, uh, which is to, my job as a witness is to testify what I have seen and know. Well, I haven't seen the Lord Jesus in the sense that the, the 12 disciples did, but I know the Lord Jesus, that I might know him. See, so I testify what I know. Well, I know him. He, he will heal your child. I know him. He will raise the dead. I know him. He, he will deliver you from every demonic power ever that's ever been. I know him. I'm here to testify and to bear witness that he will. And, and not only do I testify, I bear witness it by showing you by demonstration that, yes, he'll do those things because I'm his representative on the earth. Now, that, that, this is the plan for the church. This is the plan of how all witnessing and evangelism was supposed to have been done from day one, and yet we have, I mean, 1% maybe done it, maybe a half a percent. Probably a tenth of a percent. Okay, it's not even zero. It's nearly zero, right? Uh, you think about, uh, you know, and we've all done it, right? Uh, anybody remember the little chiclet tracks? Remember the little tracks there? You've got the, all the little graphic guys. You know, this guy's burning in hell. Ah, oh, it's so painful. You know, you read this track, you know, and feel bad, and, and I, I can pray for you. Uh, and and, and we, we, we used every, every intellectual trick and, and argument and the Roman road and the four spiritual laws and, you know, whatever, whatever new thing comes out, it's something new every day, right? I'm going to trick you intellectually into becoming a Christian. And, and, and yet, is that the prescription that the head of the church gave to the church? 
No, the prescription, the, the, the instructions that the head of the church, who seems like he would have a pretty uh, valid interest in us witnessing successfully, that the method that he gave to us to witness successfully was to receive supernatural miracle work and power. And that has always been, and, and you find no other methods in the word of God other than this method right here. Amen. Throughout all the book of Acts, what are they doing? Raising the dead, healing the sick, doing miracles, signs, and wonders uh, in whatever capacity. And so people were, were motivated to hear uh, what, uh, in, in fact, uh, Philip is a great example. Turn over to, to Acts chapter 8. Uh, it says <clears throat> uh, in verse 5, uh, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Remember what Jesus said? You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria. So it took them eight chapters to get to Samaria, right? They started in Jerusalem. They snuck out a little bit in Judea. It took them eight chapters to get to Samaria. And really only after uh, that they were scattered abroad from verse 1, uh, verse one of chapter 8. And, and, and so they were scattered abroad. So uh, here's the problem with the church. Did Jesus tell them, I want you to go everywhere? Yeah. Did they go everywhere? No, they went nowhere. They literally went nowhere. Ah, oh, you know, this Jerusalem thing is going pretty good. You know, we got like 10,000, 80,000. I've heard as many as 80,000 people in the church. We don't need to go anywhere. Just let them come to us. But what did Jesus say? I want you to go everywhere. Everywhere. And, and, and they tell you that uh, uh, each chapter in the book of Acts is about a year. So he's not exactly right, but it's, it's a pretty decent approximation. So about eight years after Jesus left, they're still in Jerusalem. Haven't gone into Judea. Haven't gone to Samaria. Haven't gone in, into the utmost parts of the earth. Because when, when did Paul get saved? What chapter did Paul get saved in? Anybody know? It's all the way here awkwardly to you all. Think about it, right? Uh, it's chapter 9, right? The very next chapter. Uh, so they hadn't gone anywhere. Paul was like, hey, let's go. Let's go, boys. Let's go. Let's go everywhere. Where do you want to go? Everywhere. He went everywhere, all over Asia, Europe, right? Uh, all kinds of places. Uh, and spread from there. But uh, this is not unusual for the church to get, get uh, tunnel vision, right? It's going good. We don't need to do anything else. We're good right here. Amen. And so it says in verse 1, And Saul, of course, he, he, he was still Saul at that point in time, was consenting unto his, uh, Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So remember, Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem first, then Judea. They never went to Judea, into Samaria. They never went to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. They hadn't done that either. They hadn't gone anywhere, done anything except in Jerusalem until Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And so people say, if you don't do Acts 1-8, you're going to get Acts 8-1 because you're out of the will of God. If the Lord says to go and you don't go, then you're out of the will of God. Now, if the Lord hadn't said to go yet, then, you, then you're fine, right? Uh, and so, uh, and look, you've got to find that path for yourself. Uh, are you supposed to go into all the world? Uh, maybe you are, maybe you're not. That's up, that's up to you and the Lord, amen? And so don't get under pressure about things because you've got to do everything by the will of God for your life. But if, but if you just refuse to listen to the Lord, you will get out of his will, amen? You'll be stuck. And then... And then Persecution comes not by the will of God, but because you're out of the will of God. So, that, so finally, after eight chapters, they did go into Ju Judea and Samaria. Well, what did, what did they do? Well, it says in verse 5, then Philip, uh, uh, anybody remember who Philip was? He, he was, what was his first job? He was a deacon in the church, right? From Acts chapter 6, he was a deacon. Uh, and then, uh, so he's still a deacon in Acts chapter 8, right? It's only been two chapters. He's still a deacon. 
uh, and, and yet uh, it says that he went down to the city of Samaria. So he wasn't a, he wasn't a preacher. He wasn't an evangelist. Not, when you get all the way to Acts chapter 21, he has been elevated and promoted to the, to the position of evangelist. In fact, he's the only named evangelist we have in the New Testament. But at this point, he's still really a deacon. It's only been two chapters since he was a, appointed a deacon. Uh, and it's probably not been two years, even though it's two chapters ago, because Acts chapter 6 is when he was appointed. Acts chapter 7 is the death of Stephen. And, and the majority of Acts chapter 7 is Stephen preaching right after he became a deacon. And so this is probably a much shorter time frame than a couple of years. Uh, but it says he went down to, to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Uh, well, I thought we were supposed to do things. Well, it says, and the people gave, the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which, spil- which Philip spake. Why did they give heed unto the things which Philip spake? It says at the end of the verse, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And then it lists some of them, right? For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many were taken with palsies that were lame and were healed. And there was great joy in that city. So uh, now Philip was, was preaching the gospel, right? Jesus is going to all the world, preach the gospel. But what methods was he using? Seeing and hearing the miracles which he did. So it was always the plan of God that the church does miracles and signs. Now, this is a deacon, right? This is not a pastor, an evangelist, an apostle, a prophet. Uh, It's a deacon, right? Which is one step above janitor, as far as the Word of God is concerned, because their job was only to wait on tables. Amen? That's it. They were feed the the widows. And that was it. They weren't supposed to run the church, run the business of the church. They were supposed to feed feed the widows. That's it. They were servants. Uh, They slung mashed potatoes, and and you like fries with that. That was their job. Uh, and and here, the, here he is casting out devils, amen, crying out with loud voice out of many that were possessed with devils, and palsies, which is creeping paralysis, and lame were healed, amen. This was the plan of the head of the church for all time. Every, every Christian, not every evangelist, every Christian has uh, once, Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Why? So I can be an effective witness to the Lord. So I can tell people God loves them. How do I know God loves them? Well, let me heal your child. Right? I, don't, I don't heal them, but, you know, uh, just saying that let, let me be the instrument that heals your child, right? Let me uh, pray for this child to be healed. And you'll know God loves you. If you do that, it's easy for people to give heed to the things which you say. Well, let me, now that I've healed your child, let me tell you how to accept the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let me tell you how to, how to get born again. Uh, and remember when Peter went to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. It says, as he was preaching, this, the Spirit of God fell on them. Uh, and, uh, and they began to speak with other tongues and magnify God. And then he said, well, let's go get water baptized, boys. You, you received it. So, you know, sometimes uh, just the speaking of the word is sufficient if it's, if it's anointed enough. Amen. Uh, but in this case, uh, they were listening because, hey, he's healing these people. He's, you know, oh, I knew that. I knew I knew. Bob over there, he'd been, he'd been in, you know, possessed with the devil since I've known him, you know, and, and no, no Bob's around here, right? But just, you know, this guy, I used to say Bob, Fred, and Joe, but we've got a Bob and a Fred coming to the church now, so I've got to be careful, you know. We got any Joes? No, there's no Joes, right? Okay, so Joe is possessed with the devil. I've known Joe possessed with the devil for years, slobbering all the time, you know, can't put chains on him, and just, and Phyllis, Philip guy came over here and did something, and now he's all better. Let's hear what he's got to say. He's got, you know, surely he's got something to say. And they gave heed to the things which he said. Now, that, that's the plan, that's, and that's what Paul's prayer was, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected, this is what he did. I want to now give you power. 
Uh, and that power didn't occur till, till the resurrection occurred, amen? And, and, and I, you know, it just, I, my, I, in my heart, so much, I, uh, my desire is for us as a body, as a church body, is to learn these things. And I think we're getting there. I believe we are getting there that we would all become empowered with the same, because we all have the Spirit of God in us. Now, not all of us have been baptized with the Holy Spirit yet, but we'll get there, amen? But for all of us to have this power to go out and show the world God loves them, amen? And if you show the world God loves them, they'll be glad to listen to anything you say, and they'll learn how to become child, a, child, a child of God and on their way to heaven. And that's for all of us. It's not for me. That's not for, the, for just me and Chris as the pastors of the church. This is for the whole church, amen? That was the plan of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus. Amen. He said, I want to talk about the future. When we take over, we've we got plenty of time to talk about the future. Let's fix the world right now. Let's save the world today. We'll, we'll figure out the future tomorrow. Amen. Uh, and that's the plan. And so, so he, he's got a few more things to say there in, in chapter, uh, in verse 10 there. But it's just, it's just a good, that, that whole, you know, with that whole rabbit path we've been through many times. But uh, it, to me, it's encouraging to, to me to hear that. Even preaching, it's just encouraging. Lord, I got to do that more. I go find some more sick people to pray for. You know, is, you need any prayer? You know, that's really a good evangelist to, you know, knock on the door. Anybody need prayer? Anybody sick in here? Can I pray for anybody who's sick? That's a great evangelistic tool, you know. Give somebody a piece of paper, let make them read. I mean, it's, it's too, too much words, right? Let me tell you this, there's four spiritual laws, right? Uh, anybody know what they are? I don't know what they are, but, you know, I know there's four of them, all right? And, uh, is there more than four? I don't even know where they get that stuff from. But anyway, uh, I, I, I like the prescription that Jesus gave much better than, than my uh, feeble attempts at trickery. Amen. And so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we do thank you for your word. And, Father, our desire is to know you. And not just know you, Father, but know the power of your resurrection, the supernatural miracle work and power of your resurrection. That's, that's the desire that you had for the church. And you said that we would receive this power after the Holy Ghost comes upon us. So, Father, we thank you that, that there is a dual work of the Holy Spirit, Father, both to cause us to be born again on our way to heaven, but also, Father, Father to, in, to in, uh, embed power into our lives so that we can be witnesses and testify of the goodness of God through the supernatural miracle work and power of God. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And, Father, we thank you that you'll show us and give us opportunities to do these things. You said to pray the Lord of the harvest, that it would send laborers across, uh, laborers out into the harvest, Father. Well, we are the laborers. And so, Father, we ask you to show us as laborers where we can d demonstrate your power, Father, to people around us. Uh, and, Father, we thank you that there will be opportunities to do that, even in, in the short time ahead of us. And we thank you for that, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. You know, if... Uh, I think if the whole church as a whole, not just this church, but if the whole church could really understand these things, uh, the revival would, would ignite the world. Amen. Uh, and and um, uh, we wouldn't spend so much time uh, nitpicking about uh, doctrinal issues. We would spend a whole lot more time uh, getting the world saved. Amen. Uh, well, praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive uh, this evening's offering. And... Um, um, let's see, a week and a half from today, we will have um, Pastor Edwin Anderson will be here with us on Sunday morning in healing school, uh, and you will, you will love Pastor Anderson. He's, he's the kind of guy you get around and you just like him as soon as you meet him, amen? And um, come ahead, Mr. Jared, and he has uh, pastored for uh, 
40 years, graduated from Brother Hagen's uh, Rama Bible Training Center 40 years ago, which was what, 1908 or something like that, and a long time ago, and started pastoring immediately, and um, uh, has pastored all these years, and he's going to be handing the uh, church over to, to his son, uh, who's been with him for many years, and uh, he's going to go out and start helping churches like ours, you know, understand the things that he's learned over those years. And, and, um, and of course, I don't know what he'll be preaching when he's here, but, um, but you'll enjoy his ministry. You'll, I think you'll thoroughly enjoy his ministry. I, I have got to know Pastor Edwin over the years, and he's just a wonderful man of God. And so uh, that's a week and a half from, uh, from, from, from today, and uh, uh, you'll, I'll, I'll be with you this Sunday, though, right? So, all right, well, be blessed. Have a wonderful week, Lord, and we'll see you on Sunday.